Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this bonus, Tales from Outer Space. I decided to post this video as a thank you for a tip I received from a very generous viewer that I received last night. There will still be the normal Tales from Space that we released later today. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And thank you again for the tip. Any and all support for the channel, whether it be monetary or otherwise, is very much appreciated. Enjoy. Story number one, Almost Peaceful, written by Cold Fire. Four thousand planets of the greater unity, six thousand sentient species, give or take, Technology so complicated it could only be repaired by crews with multiple different cognition types on the team. And that's not even mentioning the violent flare-ups that had brought the Great Unity down from 8,000 planets and 14,000 species. It was entirely understandable for the humans to be so intimidated. But no, that wasn't quite it. To the species with similar intelligences and social structures, it almost seemed that the humans were embarrassed of all things, but nobody paid them any mind. Their insistence on using a freely given technologies to outphase the signals that they had been broadcasting for cycles. Odd. Same with their social quarantining for all human history. And with the electromagnetic shielding of their quadrant, the only thing people really paid attention to was when the backwater nothing asked for other species to delete the preliminary data gathered earlier. Some worlds balked at that, but this tiny flimsy race was so obviously terrified that even the most predatory and war races consented to the purge. It didn't really matter anyways. Their quadrant, and even the mix of death worlds and featureless rocks, was otherwise entirely empty of life, sentient or otherwise. The Yalab were the first to realize how strange that had been. If humanity had then hidden itself away, kept to the rest of the universe, it would have been expected... There were many shy, pre-evolved races, and they would have been ignored, as seemed their wish. But no, the flimsy bipeds built ships of their own, founded settlements in half a dozen worlds, and these places weren't shielded like the Earth space was. Instead, they were as obvious as the unshielded as possible. Curious about the oddity, they were a plane's evolution, so curiously fit them, the Aelab ventured as close as they could to the strange cities without being spotted, hidden beneath the best cloaking their great unity had to offer. As it turned out, they didn't need to hide, partially because the humans saw them, and somehow, and partially because the humans invited them down. By now, the Aelab's attention had attracted the attention of most of the Great Unity, who telepathically watched through the Aelab's sensory hearts as a world opened up around them. This colony was not the tarnished scar that they would have expected of an ascent race. Even the planet was different from the dusty rock that it had started as. A cool breeze touched the Aelab delegation. It was ascended with so many things that... Uh, for a moment, the Aelab was frozen in simply trying to process all the variety. The variety, of course, came from the masterpiece of terraforming before them, where there were once craters, glittering pools of shimmering with the reflective scales of aquatic creatures. The star-burnt ridges now housed both massive, rigid photosynthetic organisms and prancing furred quadrupeds. Even the brief glimpse sparked massive speculation of the universal scale. Were the humans genetic engineers whose art surpassed that of even the Tradi? Did their planet simply have that many organisms, with the evolutionary history far enough beyond anything seen elsewhere? To create such a variety of perfectly proportioned life, 
Landscape designers hurriedly took notes and scans, preparing for the unavoidable rush of requests for the new style. But that wasn't the mission. As stunning as the landscape was, the Aleb turned around, clicking their hearts and abrupt change in input. The city was massive a gleaming wonder in the stone and steel, somehow surpassing the crystal forests of Mazwa in elegance. The ships soaring through the skies above them shone like stars they sought, yet the Aleb could pick out individual details on the designs adorning them. Not long after this event, other species began to visit humanity's homes. Without fail, each and every one of them was uniquely beautiful. Their ships weren't their fastest, but one couldn't help but be impressed by the symmetry. Their music wasn't the most complex, but it often gave rise to an emotion of actual empathic abilities, and each colony had its own biome, its own set of unique species. It's more impressive than the last. Rumors began to grow as they do, surrounding the home world of the greatest artists in the universe had ever seen. Some said that they were drab, focused on training the artists that they sent out rather than making the art itself. Others declared that Earth was obviously a religious secret. They had found out that the humans had religion only a few cycles earlier. Of course, their prayers and monuments were the most beautiful anyone had ever seen. But that was scoffed at. The sheer breadth of the human religions wouldn't allow a decision that unified, the debaters pointed out. And at least one human would have given it away before now if it was something centered on faith. By far, the popular opinion was that even the most wondrous works of the colony world paled in comparison to the splendor of Earth. Tales spread, saying that anyone non-human who saw Earth in all its glory would be struck silent in awe, never to speak again, for fear of diminishing the memory of what they saw. That Earth was so wondrous that the colony saw their own worlds home to more abstract riches and honor than most of the rest of the universe, as hopelessly utilitarian, as gray and lifeless in comparison to Rena Alacrim to Ormac 8. Over the human cycles, Earth grew in fame and mystery. Despite taking advantage of every advancement shown to them, humanity never once volunteered the knowledge or technology beyond their art and culture. Nobody minded, though, as said art was definitely worth the cost. Humans got more and more famous and continually better educated as the great unity slowly funded and rewarded their astonishing work. But they retained their particular aversions, never accepting any weapons or training or even remotely militant designs, acting almost horrified at the thought of violence. It made sense in an odd way. The fragmentary human history that had been gathered from the occasional interview with the taciturn race was as pure as it came, one where even hinting a conflict would see one shunned. Traders and scholars learned this quickly, taking specialized training in avoiding the subject just to avoid scaring their precious artists. It was with this in mind that the growled set off for Earth. They were one of the oldest species in the galaxy, and undoubtedly one of those for whom the times of peace chafed the most. It was in seeking both truth and conquest that they sent out their expeditionary force towards Earth. The logic was plain even to the most sedentary of species. If the fascinating mystery in all the universe was being guarded by the eleventh most physically weak species and the second least violent, at least being an immobile, telepathic caless that covered a small moon, then of course the predator-evolved race with an undeniable urge to spread their reach, grow their power, would eventually come after them. 
The first fleet was more of a team of armed ambassadors than an armada. Even if they attacked, the Guld hoped to stay on humanity's good graces. The Guld kept a careful contact with them up until the moment they crossed into the shielded Earth space. The first fleet was never heard from again. The Gull, logically assuming that some standard space disaster had befallen their fleet, sent another, and this one precautionary reconnaissance had a messenger ships. Again, all was well up until the shielded space. The Gold, sure that the new fleet was safe from all but the strangest disasters, waited with bated breath before the return of the messenger ships. The first one came back early, not only with the report of the fleet, not notable planets all found yet, other than twelve death worlds, the fleet continued in search for Earth. But with cargo, that was unexpected to say the least, the messenger ships had been intended to fly back across the shield, transmitting messages from one side to the other. This one had been used instead to transfer what looked like a derelict satellite that meant whatever was on the satellite was worth looking at too. The satellite proved a welcome distraction from the waiting for the return of the second fleet. It had turned out to be an old mining surveyor sent out what would become Earthspace mere etida before the humans entered the Great Unity. It had been destroyed. They couldn't tell by what, only twelve human cycles before the Great Endurance. Excitedly, the guard searched the record scans for the surveyor for an image of Earth. It only took a few hundred false positives, death worlds and wastelands all, before they found it. A world extremely high in water content, a substantial gravity cloaked in seemingly unintentional and in a cacophony of electromagnetic signals. The world had all the readouts of near spacefaring race. The gold, elated, had the discovery of Earth's exact location. What kind of planet hides themselves in the exact center of the protective shielding? Sent a messenger ship back across the new commands for the fleet. There was no response. The second fleet had somehow vanished. Frustrated, the guard sent the proper fleet for the third time, targeting the exact location of their quarry. Armed with the most formidable equipment in the Great Unity, home to almost a thousand intelligent warlike species had to offer, and the borderline forbidden breacher signal processing unit that would allow them to transmit past the shielding and back to the home planet, they closed in. Everything was going well. The invasion force was actually feeling a bit pointless when they reached the first field of wreckages. They stopped for just long enough to check where there were no survivors of their fleet, and that's where there were no intact ships or weapon systems to harvest. It was when they reached the second fleet that they realized something might actually be wrong. These ships were perfectly bisected along the power cores. The corpses of their crew shot mid-float even if they died in the depressuration of space. But again... Scans revealed no useful resources, personnel, or information about the opposing forces. By then, the crews began to mutter. Nobody had any idea of what could have done all of this. The technology was far beyond that of the rest of the Great Unity, and said that it was a rogue member of the Great Unity who had gotten there first. Others said that it was even a species from outside the known, who was trying to infiltrate the Great Unity through the physically weakest link. Either way, the mission of the girl shifted to new direction. Save the humans from the strange new threat. The fact that doing so would net them the secrets of Earth was simply a bonus to a glorious war. The high command glinted at. The political win-win from something that they had expected to bring them only hatred. As the gold, weapons primed against the unknown threat passed into the solar system that Earth was supposed to be located in. 
they began to broadcast their oncoming victory across the universe. Every member of the Great Unity guiltily watched. Creating me watched the final answer to the question of Earth. The guild passed the star that Earth circled. They counted the planets out from the center, pausing when they got to the third nearest. It wasn't Earth. Or at least, it didn't look like it. There was no towering cities of light. There were no full monstrosities of inspiration. There was no massive tracts of wildlife, no forests, no poles of ice, no massive mountains, even water, which had before been the natural wonders of this world according to the mining satellite, had vanished, leaving the continents indistinguishable from the sea floor. Horror and sadness filled the galaxy. Clearly, whatever had destroyed the Gull fleets had also smote the Earth into oblivion, leaving slag where it once were mountains and radioactive craters where the satellite showed had once been glorious cities. It was while the Gull drifted in shock and the Armada appeared, dropping cloak unlike anything the Great Unity had ever seen before, unleashing whirlwinds of light and kinetics upon the unfortunate war fleet. The signal cut off. Silently, not so, not the alarm of the human colonies who had, of course, not watched. The myriad walls of the Great Unity came to a consensus. They would keep the horrendous act of violence from the humans so long as possible. They would arm themselves, surrounding Earth's space and the best and brightest every military force in the Great Unity had to offer. And they would study every record and trace of the girl transmission until they knew everything possible about those monstrous destroyers who came to be known as the world breakers. Several Earth passed and there was no trace of the world breakers. Another fleet, armed again with a breacher, sent into Earth space. They didn't last long. The bottom developed over time. A fleet would go in, armed with the newest equipment, often technology inspired by their very foes. They would briefly be able to scan Earth and the neighboring systems, often places with even more melted planets, before being extinguished by the world breakers. It happened again. And again, the newest of the weapons would be blocked with shields specifically designed against the unique energy signatures. The most outlandish of strategies were outdone as if textbooked, and nothing could phase the world breakers. It became clear that they had played a war at extremes beyond the imaginations of even the sadistic Denwin. The world breakers became a common component of human free discussions. Cults formed around them, both worshipping their undefeated might and fearing the eventuality that they would notice the rest of the intelligent universe. And then the day came. The day that turned everything around. It was a combination of three simultaneous events between the obsessive astronomical historian, a lab treating a human child for brain damage, and a student's analysis of the gold transmission. The historian was comparing old electromagnetic transmission records to the current species database to track how many near-spaceflight species actually developed it and entered the Great Unity. It was quite surprised when it found the plethora of electromagnetic records, all obviously from different species, from all across what became Earth space. It wondered to its colleagues what could have happened to 73 distinct species that would leave no trace for their civilization. No disaster that they could imagine would have allowed the survival of only the humans. A race too fragile to survive much more than their own planet, much less interstellar catastrophes. The doctor who headed up the lab was doing routine lobe simulations, checking each repaired part of the human child's brain worked properly. It was quite interested in this, as humans generally perform their own operations, and the human brain was largely a mystery to most of the universe. He was hoping for some distinctive part that would explain humanity's artistic skill. 
so his simulations were very in-depth. One came back to his surprise when, uh, instead of symmetry and resonance being the core of the human biopsychological makeup, his simulation showed little other than pure, unadulterated aggression and greed, uncertain that he ran it again. And again, then he called the other interspecies doctors he knew to have them replicate the results. It was confirmed. Humans, a race so famous for hating the mere thought of conflict, was, at the core, the most hateful species the great unity possessed, orders of magnitude worse than the gulled. And the students' work sealed the matter. The thermometric breedout of the planes destroyed by the Worldbreakers, she found out, according to the standard interplanetary cooling formulas, the Earth had been destroyed long ago, before even the humans reached out for the great unity to ask for privacy. Unity laws prevented locations within signs of unknown species from being placed under electromagnetic shielding and social quarantines. So, the Worldbreakers couldn't even have been there to destroy Earth before the shield was placed. The paradox was not lend itself to any known theories. The logic was clear. Even the hive minds agreed. Humanity was not the docile race, the scholars and artists that they appeared. Nor were they shy about their homeworld. Not shy, but paranoid, sensibly paranoid, that should the great unity discover the war-torn past, that they had not only destroyed at least 73 sentient species, but also their own planet in short time between when they had developed spaceflight and joined the Great Unity. The other members would have either fled or tried and failed to exterminate them. So, they went with their other option, beauty. They hid their ugliness under a veil of wonder, only sending their unstoppable armada after those that came close to finding out the secret past. The understanding rocked the galaxy. Nobody sane had even contemplated this before. Then one species could appear so innocent and yet be so terrifying. Their world would never be the same. Despite all of this, little to nothing changed for the humans. Aliens still came from all over to view their work, even if they did not do it with appreciation. Scholars still appreciated their mystery, perhaps all the more. And, of course... The unofficial rule that the topic of violence was never, ever to be breached with humans were in contact suddenly became a lot more official. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.